So Genesis chapter 28, we uh, were not there last week on Pentecost Sunday, but uh, in the book of Genesis, we were um, in the book of Acts mainly. Um, but 27, just to give a little bit of review, this is the, where Jacob is given the really bad counsel by his mom, Rebecca, because she has found out that Esau's out, he's hunting, he's out grabbing, you know, catching a, you know, something of the, a deer out in the field. He's going to come back and make a, a stew for his dad. And then Isaac has said, I'm going to bless you because I'm about to die. Now, he wasn't about to die. It was going to be decades before he died. Um, but he didn't know that. He's a man at this point in chapter 27. It's a low point in Isaac's life. Um, he's a man that's kind of led by his passions. He's a man that's being led by um, just the traditions of the day. That's my interpretation to him deciding that he's going to bless Jacob, um, Esau when God said that it was Jacob that is going to be the blessed one. And so whatever his reasons were, he's not going with what God had to say. So uh, Rebecca overhears this, and she knows, because God has spoke to her, it's not going to be your oldest son, Esau. It's going to be his younger twin brother, Jacob. And Esau was a man that was living a carnal fleshly life. And this vexed the soul of Rebekah. And she could not live with the thought that what God had promised to her, the prophecy that was given to her, was not going to be fulfilled. And she thought she had to help out God. And so she comes up with this plan. Jacob, go in there and pretend to be your brother and allow your dad to bless you. And that Abrahamic blessing will come to you. But of course, Jacob says, there's a problem, Mom. Esau is really, really what? Yeah, he's very hairy. How hairy is Esau? He is so hairy that if you dressed up like a farm animal, you could trick your dad. Now, that's not hyperbole. They put goat skins on Jacob, and when he came in, he's like, oh, yeah, there's Esau. Because Isaac's eyes were were dim and he couldn't see. And they, they deceive and he receives the blessing. Now here's the thing. He didn't have to do that. Because God had already declared that it was going to be him. But Rebecca and Jacob are taking things into their own hands in the similar manner as to when uh, Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hand and, and sent Abraham into Hagar, and she bore that son. It was not the plan of God. This is not the plan of God. Is it that Sarah would have a child? Yes. Is it that Jacob will be the one to whom the Abrahamic blessing passes on to? Yes. But they're having trouble with faith and believing. And so that's kind of where we pick up the story in verses 1 through 4. And let's read those together. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and look at this, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Isaac is awake spiritually here in chapter 28 again. Chapter 27, not so much. But chapter 28, 
He is awakened. What happened? Well, we read in chapter 27 that once Esau came in, right after he had given the blessing to Isaac, Jacob, or after Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, that Esau walked in and he began to tremble. Actually, it's like in trembling, he was trembling. I mean, he was shaking. Why was he shaking? Was it fear? No, I don't think it was fear. Um, or I mean, say anger. I think it was a fear of God that, wait a minute, I know what God wants to do. And even though I was trying to overthrow it and do it my own way, God thwarted me in what I was doing. And it was like he had a holy encounter with the Lord. Now, this does not excuse what Rebecca did. This does not excuse what Jacob did. But God uses even the unrighteous acts of his wife and his daughter to be the thing that wakes him up spiritually. And now as we come into chapter 28, he willingly gives the blessing, doesn't he? And is very clear about it in verse 4. And give you the blessing of Abraham. This is not just land. It is not just prosperity. It is also spiritual responsibility. It is through you now, Jacob, that will descend the seed that will crush the head of the serpent, that will allow God to restore things back to the way they should be. Of course, we know the end story. It is through you, Jacob, that Jesus Christ will descend, the Messiah. It's not that clear yet, but we can look back with the lens of history and the Word of God and see this. So he of his own free will now, not through trickery, not through deceit, because he, it, it shook him to his core. And he's like, you see a yielding, you see a humbling, and Isaac saying, yes, the Lord has given you this. And I acknowledge that, and you are to go. Now he doesn't want him to get a wife from the daughters of Canaan. These are ungodly uh, people. <laughs> These are people that are on the verge of being um, judged by the Lord. If you're like, well, how bad were they? Sodom and Gomorrah bad. That's how bad they, they were. And this is why um, Abraham and now Isaac and Rebekah are like, please don't take a wife from among them like your brother Esau has done because this is going to corrupt things. It's going to keep you from worshiping the Lord and keeping your eyes on him. Not an ethnic thing, it's a spiritual thing. It's like Solomon. Solomon was told to, in every king, was that they were not to multiply to themselves silver, gold, or wives. He disobeyed all three of those things in spectacular fashion. And Solomon was the builder of temples, right? He built the temple of God, but I said temples because he didn't just build the temple of God. What else did he do? Those wives that worshipped other gods, he built worship houses for them as well. And so his heart was turned because of the faith of those, other, of those wives, those many wives and concubines that he had. It's this idea is that your heart would not be turned. It's what we're told in the Word of God in the New Testament that as believers, we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, you know, where a person comes from, what country, what they look like, that doesn't matter. What matters is, what does a heart look like? Is a heart inclined towards Jesus Christ? Then, that, then that's who another believer should be joined to. And if it's not, 
then you're not supposed to. You're like, well, I'm married to an unbeliever right now. Then be a faithful witness in that marriage. Stay in that marriage and be a faithful witness. This is the word of the Lord. And if you're not married, then don't marry an unbeliever. Mom and dad, I just let me just give you this as a strong warning. Let it be in the heart and the minds of your kids, explaining why you want your kids to have those one day that they date become a person that's a follower of Jesus Christ because their hearts can so easily be turned. And that's what's going on here. Um, so it's like, we don't want you to do that, so you're going to go away. Now, Abraham sent Eleazar to this location to get a wife for Isaac. But Isaac is needing a wife, but he also needs to what? Get out of town. So rather than sending a servant to go do this, he actually is sent himself because brother Esau is, he is mad and he wants, he wants blood. And he has said as much in chapter 27. So awake spiritually. Uh, dads, moms, be aware of what's happening. A little bit of leaven, sin, can leaven the whole lump, your family. And when you are not walking in obedience, when you are not walking in uh, faithfulness to the Lord, then you introduce leaven into that family. And it can begin to have all kinds of consequences that you never would think would come. It's almost like, oh, I don't understand. How does this thing that I'm doing, you know, plus my family, end up bringing about bad results? Because you've got an enemy. And the Bible says, do not give place, don't give a foothold, don't give a toehold to Satan in your life. And when you sin, when you are not awake spiritually and you're making compromises, you are, you're providing an environment by which Satan can launch an attack. Now listen, he's going to do it anyway, right? He's going to make that attack anyways on your family. But when you begin to open yourself up and you begin to sin and you begin to bring other things into your life, that can have an impact upon the rest of your family. And you may say, no, 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 no. That won't happen because I've got, my secrets are tight. Nobody knows what I'm doing. My family has no idea. Your family doesn't have to know to experience the negative consequences because Satan knows and your, your Savior knows who says, I will bring chastening. And, you know, if you are chastened, your family is going to feel the consequences of that. And so we need to be those that walk faithfully and passionately after the Lord. It is not enough to want to be spiritual. It's not enough to want your family to have spiritual things. You must choose to walk in those spiritual things. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know those, all of those things. Yeah, but knowing them didn't do anything for Isaac. Look at his family. It's tore apart here at the end. This is not a happy moment. You have, you know, two sons. That one's deceiving, the other wants to kill. Your wife has deceived you. There's all kinds of, you know, anxiety and all kinds of uh, trouble that's in the family because of the people that, that Esau has married. This is not a pretty picture. Isaac and Rebekah, somewhere along the way, lost their focus. And you see it so clearly in chapter 27 in the fact that 
Isaac was willing to discount the word of God that said it will be your son Jacob. And when we discount the word of God, similar things can begin to happen. Verses 5 through 9, Jacob is charged by his father to avoid compromise. So Isaac sent Jacob away and went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that he had blessed him. He gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, that Jacob had obeyed uh, his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and he took uh, a wife there. And again, Esau, he's still not getting it. He just thinks, oh, you just don't like the Canaanite ladies. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll go to family. I'll, I'll, you know, if he's going to family you know, um, with you know, mom's brother, then I'll, we'll go over to you know, Uncle Ishmael in you know, his family. But he's missing the point of the desire to live a spiritual life. And again, his angle is, well, maybe if I do this, then I'll get the blessing. But the charge is given to Jacob to avoid compromise. Don't enter into this. Um, again, just a little bit about the Canaanites. Uh, John Philip writes, The unspeakable vileness of the Canaanite religion made it imperative that Jacob hold himself aloof from any entanglement with the Canaanite women. Esau had already disgraced himself by marrying idolatrous heathen women. Jacob must not do the same. What are those faith killers that you need to be charged by the Holy Spirit today to stay away from? Now, on one level, the Word of God speaks to all of us equally, right? Whatever the Word of God says, that is the standard. But now there are also those things where the Word of God speaks to you specifically about your circumstances and the things that are good for you and that are bad for you. And if, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you or has already spoke to you before you even walk through the store and says, don't walk down this road, don't go down this, then hear that charge and heed that charge. It is meant to be a blessing for you. It is not meant to make your life miserable. It's not meant to keep good things away from you. It is meant to be something that will keep your faith strong. Jacob has an important role. He is the next link in that Abrahamic blessing and promise. He needs to be a man of faith. He needs to be a man that's focused upon these things, passing the promises on. A promise that was not only for his own descendants, that they would have a land and they would prosper and eventually become a nation, but that the spiritual responsibility to, and to bring one into the world that would be the savior of the world. And so, in a similar way, we have a responsibility to be bringing people to that seed, to Christ. And if we're making compromises, then we will not be effective at helping the world today to see who the Lord is. So he is given that solemn charge to not make a compromise with the Canaanite women. We move on. In verses 10 through 17, so Jacob is now on his way, as we read there in verse 5, um, and he's going to encounter God. Um, he had not had an encounter with God yet, but he's about to. 
Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up upon the earth. And his top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the east, west, north, and south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Read that, Jesus Christ. He is the seed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. If we can go ahead and put up that that map. He's living down in the south in Beersheba. He's right there below even the Dead Sea, to the uh, west of the Dead Sea. And he makes about a three-day travel up to Bethel. That's about how far that is, about some 70 miles away. It would have been a rough terrain to walk there. He made it to this place. This is where he's going to lodge. He's eventually trying to make it all the way up to Haran, which is, I think, some, you know, 450 miles or something like that. He's got a long journey ahead of him to hook up with his extended family. But what what, what is Jacob feeling, do you think, as he's making this journey? There had to be some loneliness. There had to be a sense of hopefully a little bit of shame for what he has done. Man, tricked my brother again. I tricked my dad. And now I'm on the run. I've got to walk. Oh, there's a purpose to go. I've got to go you know, find a wife. But a servant could have done that for me. That's the way they did it for my dad. And now he's in this place. He arrives at Bethel. And he falls asleep. And um, as he's... Sleeping, he, he sees this image of a ladder. Now, don't think of like a, our kind of a ladder. Um, think of like a staircase. Um, so this is like a, a staircase that would be connected to a ziggurat. And um, th- this is probably what was built there at the Tower of Babel was a, a ziggurat, and there was stairs that led up there. And so he sees not like a, you know, the kind of ladder we put up the side of our house. He sees this staircase. And for the pagans, this was the place where you connected with God. When they built the Tower of Babel, they wanted to reach the heavens, right? They wanted to get, have access up to, to God. And when he's sitting here dreaming, he sees this. And the Lord speaks to him and promises that he's going to bring him back here and he's going to bless him and he's going to have descendants and the seed is going to happen. The Abrahamic blessing that has been such a point of dispute, even going back to the womb, but throughout the life with Esau and has now brought this bitter result on his life, the Lord says, I'm going to do this in you. This isn't just a mom idea. This isn't just a dad idea, a grandpa. This is me, Jacob. This is my plan for your life. 
And so he sees this access, and um, it would have been quite a moment. And we see his response there. He was blown away. What does he say there in verse 16? I said, I didn't know God was here. And maybe that's kind of the way you feel right now. You don't see the presence of God in your life. All you have in your life is hard things. Your pillow is hard. You know, I doubt that he actually was laying on it as a pillow. He probably put it there and rested up against it. But it becomes symbolic of the hard things that are going on in his life. I'm sure he didn't use that in his tent back in Beersheba. I'm sure it was much more comfortable. But now the result of his actions are coming to bear on his life. And it's hard. The journey is hard. The loneliness is going to be hard. The shame would have been hard. Even a good night's rest was hard. But the Lord met him in that place. You may be feeling like there is no opportunity for God to be present in your life and to bring blessing because of what you've done. But look at this guy. He, I mean, it's at the worst moment of his life. And in the worst moment of his life, God comes and shows the greatest amount of grace. Do we have any verses that maybe come to our mind here? Where sin abounds, what? Grace abounds a little bit more? Much more. And that's what Jacob is experiencing. That's not just an Old Testament, I mean, New Testament principle. That's an Old Testament principle. That's the way God works with his people. And so Jacob is being told, listen, you have access to me. I'm going to be taking care of you. You see these angels going up and down. Let that be something that speaks of God's attentive nature. There will be those that watch after you, Jacob. I will have messengers that are going to care for you. And he sees this, and he was blown away. It produced a fear in him. And what he says is, wow, this is none other than the house of the Lord. So here's the question for us to ask as we apply it to our life. Have you come to the house of the Lord before and not sensed the presence of God? Where does the Lord dwell today? He dwells, of course, as individuals. He dwells in our hearts. But collectively, the Lord dwells within the church. And each of us are a stone in the building of the church. Collectively, we make the, that physical house of the Lord but that physical house is nothing unless the presence of the Lord is there. And the Lord is in our midst. We read in Revelation that Jesus walks in the midst of the lampstand. The lampstand is a metaphor for the church. Jesus goes to church. And there's worship and there's fellowship and there's prayer and there's a word and there's ministry. And you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise it for you. We can go to church and not understand how awesome is this place we can go there can be somebody else on the other side of the room and they are having a Jacob type encounter and there's somebody else on the other side of the room is like I don't even know what's going on here but it's the same the Lord's presence is there and so we need to prepare our hearts we need to anticipate in worship and in prayers and in the interaction of fellowship that we have in the ministry that we do, that God is going to show up. So such verses 16 and 17, my two favorite verses of this, this passage. And he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. In your hard things, your hard trials of life, 
Do you see the Lord there? Because this is what Jesus said. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that means right now, believer, that Jesus is with you. Do you see him? Do you know his presence in your life? And if the answer is no, it's not his fault. It's you're looking at something else. You're distracted by something else. Your pain is too hard. It's too difficult for you to see. And what you need to have is you need to have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Now, Jacob had an encounter with Jesus here. Um, and it's, it's, you know, if we just flip over a little bit into the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 47 through 51 says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Look at here, verse 51. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon who? The Son of Man. There's one access to God in heaven, and that is through Jesus. And so, I mean, even what the Lord speaks to him of that seed, he's talking about the coming of the seed. He has not come yet, but even still, we know that Christ is eternal, and it is through him that there is that access. Today, it's written so clearly for us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He is the only portal. He is the only staircase. He is the only road. He is the only way by which you can come to the Lord. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom also we have what? Access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice and the hope of the glory of God. Or Ephesians 2, 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who are near, Jew and Gentile. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Similar things are written in Ephesians 3, 12 and 13, that in him in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So this is the repeated theme of the New Testament, is that we have access. Now you may say, man, I wish I could have a Jacob type experience. You've already outdone Jacob. You've had a better than Jacob type experience. He didn't know that who the ladder was. He didn't understand the access and how man was going to have his way into the presence of God. Even Jacob had to have faith in, the, in Christ before he was born. He had faith in the seed that would come, that would restore everything. The Old Testament saints had faith looking forward to the seed. We have faith looking back what? To the seed. But it's, Jesus is at the center of it all. They didn't know everything like we know. So this is why I say you've had a better experience. You've had a fuller experience. Jacob doesn't get all that we have in Scripture. He doesn't have those things written down for him. He didn't even have a Bible. 
He had these experiences and the experiences of his father and the experiences of Abraham and that which had been passed down traditionally from the garden. And these were accounts and stories he would have been familiar with, but he didn't. This is his first experience with God. Our experience with God is so much richer. It is so much fuller. You know that Jesus is that access we have to the Lord. What do we do with that access? The writer of Hebrews says that we can boldly come into the presence of the Lord, to the throne room of grace in our time of need. You can boldly come. Like, no, not me. I can't. The Lord is done with me. I have sinned. I have messed up. I am a troublemaker. I'm sure the Lord is not interested in me coming anywhere near that staircase. You're wrong. And it's so beautiful that the Lord puts it in a picture like this. He puts it in the picture of a conniver, a deceiver. One who's trying to, you know, help God out and make things, you know, go his way. It's to him that the Lord shows up. It's in his trial. It's in his hurt. It's in his pain. And we all need to learn that valuable lesson of not just knowing that we can come, but that we come. And we call upon the name of the Lord. You can see, ah, yeah, I know the throne room of grace and I can go there. But, you know, right now I just I'm trying to work things out. That's exactly what Jacob was doing. He was just trying to work things out. He was trying to put it all together on his home. That's what Rebecca was doing. That's what Abraham had done previously with, with Hagar. Just trying to work it out. And the Lord would say, come to me and cast yourself upon me. You have access to me in my throne room of grace. So Jacob is a picture of a lost soul running in fear and all alone in the wilderness. And if that sounds like you, then understand that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one. And so he's in every place. He's not just in Bethel. He's not just in a geographical location over in Israel. He is wherever you are. And wherever you are, you can call out. You can call upon Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead, defeating that sin and death and proving that access was granted. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we know that we have the life to come into the presence of the Lord. So take advantage of the access that you have in Jesus Christ. Verses 18 through 22, and we're going to wrap it up here with these verses. Jacob responds to all of this in worship. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If or since God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that I give all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you and so Jacob responds in worship. He says, all right, I'm yours. And everything that I have is yours. And I'm going to acknowledge that by giving a portion of this back to you. He is struck by what has happened. Um, the stone that he sets up and that he pours oil on, this is something that um, 
was pretty common practice. So maybe this is give you an idea of what he would have ran into and what would have been at his head. And you can see why he'd probably be more leaning against it than using it as a pillar. This is not the pillar, but it is one pillar that exists in this uh, part of the world. Um, in... Um, or is it in the in, in yeah the Negev and the eastern Sinai, so the southern portion uh, below Israel, there is 142 independent sites where there are stones that are set up like this, um, and and then there are others that are found others. Now sometimes these stones became deified, and they began and the people would worship them. Obviously not good, but there are also other times where these were just meant to bring back a recollection of what God had done. Like in Exodus 24, 4 through 80, Moses sets up 12 pillars in the wilderness. And that is to recall the works of God. That's what Jacob is doing. He is memorializing the encounter he had just had with God. That he has access to God. That Jacob hill catcher, supplanter, dirty sneaky thief, that guy, he has access to God and, and that he's going to attend to him and angels will be ministering to him. And he is blown away and he's like, this is the house of God. I must mark this place. I, and he sets up the pillar and he pours oil on it. Not to worship it, but to say the Lord is in this place. And so he is blown away. He is so touched by this. And all of us, if you're a believer, you need to erect some pillars in your life. And the number one and greatest pillar that you can erect is your testimony. Is that you had access to the Lord. What was the day you got saved? What was it like? How did your life change? What has it been since you've come to Christ? Do your kids know this story? Do your grandkids need, know this story? Anoint that pillar afresh in your home and speak of the works of God and the ways of God. There, you know, there are things that Rebecca and myself that we talk about, certainly our, our salvation, but there are those, these other moments in our life where we can look back and we can see what God was doing. I mean, God's always at work, but then there, you know, kind of life leads up to moments and then that moment happens and then your life leads up to another moment. We can look back and we can see these. We are always so careful with our children to talk about these accounts and tell them these stories because they need to hear and you need to hear. I need to hear of the good things that God has done in my life in the past. You can know them. And even right now, some of you can begin to think, oh, yeah, there are those things. Talk it out. Anointed or fresh. Maybe around lunch today. Maybe this week. You can just pull out some of those pillars that haven't been discussed or talked about or ever even been raised up. And say, hey, this is what, these are some key moments in my life. You know what I think was going to happen if we do this? You're going to be blown away at how active God is in your life. You're going to be encouraged to look for him to work and to move in your life again. In verse 22, he vows to give back to the Lord in response to the blessing that was promised him. He says, well, if you're going to bless me, Lord, I'm going to give back. That is a thankful 
a, a heart that's been touched and wants to worship. Giving is not paying a bill. <laughs> Giving is not paying a bill. That's not AEP. God is not, you know, your cell phone. And, you know, I got my cell phone, I got my mortgage, I got God. No, it's not. It's totally different. It is the one thing when you give that is different than any other thing you, you give to. You are worshiping God in that moment. And so you come with an overflow, a thankful heart, access to the throne room of God. His promise is that he's never going to leave you, you know, forsake you, that you're going to spend eternity with him. And then it is from that that the heart overflows into giving. And this is the way it should be. Of course, we read in Corinthians that the Lord loves those that give joyfully. It's that overflow. And that's exactly what Jacob is doing here. Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob are all examples of people who tried to find protection and blessing and prosperity apart from the Lord. And the Lord corrected them. And he brought them to the place where they are like, they finally got it. Isaac sought to find protection and prosperity in deceit. Rebekah tried to secure it through deceit. Esau sought to obtain it through fleshly means. And um, Jacob sought through blessing through deceit as well. And, and this is not the way. This is not the way we do it. So the lesson for Isaac and Jacob was that blessing comes as a fulfillment of God's promises. And God has given you promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Come to the Lord and let him bless your life. Let him bring those things. You're, I mean, the promise of eternal life. Where else can you go to find anything that even comes close to that? Where can you go to find anything that comes close to the Lord saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that I'll be with you at all times? These are the blessings of God. And this is what your soul craves, is an encounter with God. And so Jacob discovered that God's grace and blessing are available even in the moment of failure. Even when you're on the run, the Lord says, all right, I'll, I'm willing to bless you. Let me tell you who I am. and Let me tell you how you can have access to me. And so may we have that same discovery or rediscovery this morning as we think about Jacob in Bethel. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so glad that you have opened the way for us. You have made a path, Lord, in the wilderness of sin and death to come to you, and it's through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be renewed in the joy of our salvation, that we would think about that day you came to us, that we will raise up that, that stone of remembrance, that we will anoint it with oil, will beautify, Lord, those encounters we have had with you. 